got clean water. Oh, that's great. Look at that. Ooh. I bet I know what this does. Bring down the glorious water. Ah, shoes. Oh, what do we got here, guys? That's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. Man, we're, you can see what we did there. We actually took Thanksgiving and we're going to stick it in Christmas. Did you guys catch that? All right. That's going to be awesome. What a fun video. We are starting that brand new message series next Sunday called Gifts. Uh, Keith, Pastor Keith Elwine is going to bring the first message. He's going to talk about the gift of peace. And so we don't want you to miss out on that new message series starting next Sunday. And uh, today we are continuing um, the message series called Friending. And I want to introduce myself for those of you that are visiting for the first time. My name is Justin Ross, one of the pastors here at Grace. And uh, this is our final week of this message series. And we've been diving into this topic of friendship. And, and we believe here at Grace Church that relationship, connection, friendship is really, really important because God created us for friendship. He created us for relationship. He created us for connection. And God himself exists in community. God the Father, God the Son in God the Holy Spirit, so he models it. Uh, we, we decided to dive into this topic, if you remember. I've been kind of reminding us of this uh, throughout this series, but we were hearing a lot throughout Grace Church that uh, people were saying, Grace Church is like the friendliest church in town, but I'm having a hard time connecting. I'm having a hard time uh, developing deep friendship. And so we said, hey, let's dive into this. Let's talk about it. Let's see what the scriptures have to say about it. And so we took four weeks to dive into this topic of friendship to help us get better at friending. So uh, let me quickly remind us of where we've been, and then we're going to dive into the message this morning. Uh, week one of the series, we talked about the foundation of friendship, and we looked at what King Solomon had to say thousands of years ago. He said in Proverbs thirteen twenty that if you walk with the wise, you become wise. If you associate with fools, you get into trouble. In other words, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Who you hang around is who you're going to become. Uh, young people, this is really important. Old people, this is really important. Middle-aged people, this is really important. Who you hang around is who you're going to become, who you spend time with. It's either going to uh, make you uh, uh, wiser or it's going to make you more foolish is what Solomon was saying. We also uh, let Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 17, uh, King Solomon wrote these words as well. We let this define the term friendship for us so that we're all working from the same foundation. But Solomon said, a friend loves at all times. That's, that's like the best definition of friendship. A friend loves 
at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. And we then talked about the friend that we need to be be to others. We talked about the need to be present and the need to be real. Uh, Week two of this series, we talked about the, the topic of unfriending. And the big idea was this. You cannot live the right life when you have the wrong friends. You can't live the right life when you have the wrong friends. And we wrestled with this tension that Jesus was a friend of sinners, but we're also called not to be of the world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. And so we have this tension that's pulling on us, and that tension really isn't going away. We need to be in the world. We, need, we are called to go and make disciples, but yet we can't let the world bring us down. And it's a real tension. It's something that we wrestle with. Uh, when we, when we uh, are a friend of sinners, when we love people at all times, we are fulfilling the teachings of Jesus in John 13, 34 and 35, when Jesus said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And then in uh, Proverbs 13, 20, it says, walk with the wise and become wise, associate with fools and get into trouble. There's a tension, okay? We're called to love one another, but we're also uh, called to be careful in who we choose to be our close friends. You cannot live the right life when you have the wrong friends. And so what we were encouraged to do in in this uh, message that we talked about unfriending is we need to make sure we surround ourselves with the right friends so that our roots will grow deep and our reach will grow wide. Surround yourself with the right friends so that your roots will grow deep and your reach will grow wide. So this morning, we're talking about the barriers to friendship. That's the title of the sermon this morning, the barriers to friendship, the things that get in the way of friendship. I'm going to just quickly talk about some of the things. We've already covered some of the barriers throughout this series, and so I'm going to remind us of some of those barriers. But the bulk of this sermon is going to be spent on the main barrier to friendship. There's really one thing that gets in the way of friendship, and I actually call it the friendship killer. All right, so we're going to to really focus in on this one thing that really gets in the way of friendship, but I'm not going to tell you what the friendship killer is yet because I want to keep you in suspense, okay? All right, that way maybe you stay focused and listen. Don't you want to know what the friendship killer is? (laughs) All right. So what are some of the barriers or some of the things that get in the way of friendship? We we talked about this in one of the previous sermons, but we we talked about three specific barriers that I want to remind us of. These are three things that get in the way of friendship. Number one, a barrier to friendship is the fact that our lives are too busy. I mean, we live in a culture where we jam-pack more and more and more stuff into our schedules. We are way too busy. Modern conveniences were supposed to give us more time, but it's really done the opposite. And many of us have increased work hours. Uh, we, we live especially in a place where a lot of times we need dual income to make it. So both um, you know, spouses, both husband and wife are working. And sometimes they're working even increased hours. And because, um, because of that, our lives can be just jam-packed. And so sometimes we don't have space to just have conversation, to have coffee, to, 
to invite people over. We, we're just so busy. Um, we also uh, learn that we're, we're busy because of technology. I think technology is a fascinating thing. I think it's a helpful thing. But we've learned that technology, is sometimes it's hard to disconnect from work because our phones go with us, which means emails go with us, which means, um, you know, your boss or fellow employees can text you at any time. Um, <clears throat> I'm surprised that uh, they're not able to track you, you know, nowadays, like some of us parents do with our children, you know. But uh, you, sometimes it's hard to disconnect from work. Like work goes with you wherever you go, and so it's hard to unplug. People are working so much, people are so busy that they're not developing relationships. Number two, a barrier to friendship we learned is, is the rise of divorce. Um, divorce is sometimes a barrier to friendship because um, it, it's not only hard on, on, on children, it's not only hard on the relationship, but it's also hard on friendships. Um, when there's a divorce, friends sometimes feel like they have to choose a side. I'm with him or I'm with her. And so it can really hurt friendships. And, and then thirdly, we learn that a barrier to friendship is because of the social media boom. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And we, we, we learned that, you know, whatever you think about social media, we all have to acknowledge that it's redefining how we think about friends and how we think about friendships. And it's nothing in this day and age to broadcast to the world the details of our lives, okay? So social media is a barrier. It's, it's sometimes a hindrance. And, and I've already told you that um, I, myself, I, I use social media. I use Instagram. I use Facebook. I try to use it to connect with people. But I think social media can be consuming in our lives if we're not careful. Um, and sometimes social media, you know, you can have hundreds of followers or hundreds of friends, and yet sometimes we're, we're, we feel more alone than ever before. And so just because you have a bunch of friends, just because you have a bunch of followers, doesn't mean you have deep friendship. Doesn't mean you have intimacy in friendship. Uh, a lot of times when you, know, when you uh, look at people's posts or you look at their pictures, um, there's going to be a lot of comparison that we struggle with. You know, we, we start comparing ourselves to one another, and it can really trap us, and it, it can make us have negative thoughts where we feel inferior to people, or it can make us uh, to where we feel superior to people, and it can be a hindrance. I don't know if you were uh, able to hear the big news in social media world right now, but uh, Instagram is actually looking to hide the likes feature on their app. Okay, on the social media app. So when you post a picture, they're moving in the direction. It's already happening in other countries. They're starting to move it into the United States now to where when you look at a picture, you can't see how many people liked it. And uh, Adam Masseri, the head of Instagram, he said the idea is to depressurize Instagram and to make it a space that's more focused on connections, conversations, and community, especially for young people. All right? This is legit. This is a real deal to where even the head of social media, you know, business giants are saying, we have a problem here. There's, there's like mental illness is on the rise. Um, suicides are on the rise. Like people <clears throat> are getting so uh, entrapped, so consumed with their self-image and comparing themselves to others. Uh, we need to do something about this. 
And so they're taking the step of trying to take likes off to where when you actually look at a picture, you're not consumed about um, how much other people think about this picture. You're actually just trying to connect with this friend because you love that friend. I mean, what a, what a novel concept. What, a, what an amazing idea. Again, there's nothing wrong with social media. It's a great tool to stay in touch with people, but social media needs to be a supplement to relationships, not a replacement to relationships. And often people are allowing it to replace the intimacy of relationship, and we end up having, once again, more followers than ever before, but yet we feel more alone than ever before. I want to give you two quick thoughts about uh, social media just to encourage you to, to, to try to help you as you navigate this. Um, young people, um, I, I think this is important for us. The first thing, two quick thoughts to navigate social media in a healthy way is to be intentional. So make sure you understand the motivations as to why you're using social media. Like, why am I doing this? Why am I using sh- social media? Um, and I think it's, it, it's good to be intentional. Like, if you're trying to connect with grandma... You're trying to connect with a friend. You know, be intentional about that. Connect with them. Have conversation. um, And do that instead of just mindlessly scrolling, you know. I think that's where we can get into trouble when we just mindlessly scroll and then our minds can get carried away with the thoughts of comparison, you know. Uh, Be intentional at connecting with others or engaging in conversation with them. The second thing that we can do to uh, navigate social media in a healthy way is to limit our use. So be intentional and then limit your use. Man, we can spend hours and hours on social media um, watching other people's lives instead of living our own life, right? I mean, we can be watching people's lives instead of living our own. And so I would encourage all of us to limit our use, put some barriers, put some guardrails around your use of social media, and I think it would really help us all. Um, One last thing, too, is just... uh, Uh, Some things I was reading just trying to uh, prepare for this message. There was a lot of encouragement given to stop using social media at least an hour before falling asleep. Um, A lot of times people can start scrolling, and next thing you know, it's like one in the morning, you know. So, uh, man, plug your phones in in your kitchen, outside of your bedroom. Use an alarm clock. Seriously, it's like eight bucks for an alarm clock, okay? That was my excuse. Oh, I need my alarm on my phone, you know. It's like... Get an alarm clock, dude. Um, It's only eight bucks at Walmart. So make sure you get enough sleep. It's important for your overall health. Now let's talk about the friendship killer. All right? The friendship killer, the main barrier to friendship, the thing that gets in the way of friendships going deeper and friendships lasting and friendships uh, growing, the friendship killer is actually a four-letter word. It's four-letter words, man. The friendship killer is fear. It's fear. It's an amazing dilemma that we experience as human beings. Like, we, we long to be close to other people. We long to go deeper with other people. But oftentimes, we're afraid of going deeper with other people. We're afraid of getting closer to other people. Fear prevents intimacy within relationships. It is the relationship friendship killer. You cannot get close to someone if there is fear in a relationship. 
What do I mean by this? How does, how does fear hurt friendships? How does fear uh, kill friendships? You see, when we're full of fear, we always struggle with connecting with other people. Here's how fear kills our relationships or our friendships. Often, we won't get close to other people because we're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid that, man, if, if I open up to someone and I really tell them what I'm thinking or what I'm struggling with, they will reject me. They won't be my friend anymore. It's fear. Oftentimes, we won't get close to other people because we're f- afraid of being manipulated. Maybe we had some relationships in the past that were abusive and we were manipulated. And so that fear travels with us into the future and we don't connect with people because we're afraid we're going to be manipulated again. We're afraid of being hurt or used. We don't deepen friendships because we're afraid of being vulnerable. Once again, someone might really find out who I really am and what I really struggle with. I'm going to keep that in the dark. All of those fears, they disconnect us. They keep us from going deeper. They keep us from being more intimate as friends. And this struggle is nothing new. It has been going on since the very beginning of the human race. Let's look at Adam and Eve at the very beginning. I think most of us know the story of Adam and Eve. Maybe some of us don't. It's the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. It tells us about Adam and Eve, okay? The first humans on this planet called Earth. And let's look at how Adam and Eve struggled with this very thing, fear. After Adam and Eve sinned. See, God told Adam and Eve that there was one tree in the garden that they were not supposed to eat of. One rule. Like, God gets a bad rap. God is accused of being all about rules. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do that. At the very beginning, God had one rule. He's not all about rules. He's about relationship. He told Adam and Eve, don't eat from this one tree. You can eat from anything else. You can do anything else in this garden. Don't eat from this one tree. So what did Adam and Eve do? They ate from that tree, right? That's, that's what you and I would do, too. I know. Because we're humans. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They, they did what God asked them not to do. They ate from the tree, and after they sinned, God came looking for them. And Adam and Eve hid from God. So God came into the garden, and he's looking for Adam and Eve, and they're hiding from him. And God found them. That's what God is about. He's about finding people who are hiding, finding people who are lost. He's, he's, he's after you, just so you know, because he loves you. He's going to find you. But God found Adam, and he just simply asked, like, why are you hiding? And he said, I was afraid. This is Adam talking. I was afraid, so I hid. And people have been hiding ever since. You see, we're afraid, so we don't let people know who we really are. We try to hide. We try to stay in the dark. Because we fear that if people see behind my mask, that they're going to see the truth. And if they don't like it, 
I'll feel hurt. I'll feel rejected. So I'm going to put on this facade. I'm going to put on this mask. I'm going to pretend like I'm somebody that I'm really not to try to make people accept me and like me. So we pretend to be something, someone we're not. Listen, fear does terrible things in in friendships. But I think there's really two main things that show themselves when fear is in control. Okay? Fear does really, really nasty things, really bad things in relationships. But first of all, fear causes us to be consumed with self-preservation. When you're afraid, it's all about me. You go into protective mode. We're controlled by fear, so we become consumed with self. It's all about me. It's all about self. Our image, the way we look, our safety, our financial security. Fear leads us to focus so much on ourselves that it leads us to the point of exhaustion. It leads us to try to control and try to manipulate so that self is preserved, so that self is protected. When we travel the path of self-preservation, it causes us to become controlling. We try to control everyone and everything because I'm trying to protect me. And listen, the more afraid we are, the more we attempt to control everything. Control freaks are usually people who are very afraid. We always try to have the last word. We try to dominate because I'm trying to control the outcome. Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 12 and verse 24. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, this death is a picture of death to self. Okay. If it, if it doesn't fall to the earth and die, this little grain of wheat remains alone. But if it falls to the earth and dies, it bears much fruit. What, what if? What if true connection, true friendship, true relationship, what if it started with death to self? And not being about me, but actually opening my eyes and being about you, being about others. What if? Secondly, fear causes us to be isolated. When when fear has its claws deep in your heart, you will not let people get close to you. You will set up Walls and barriers and any protective mechanism you can think of to keep people at bay. Because I'm afraid. And I don't want you getting close to me. I'm afraid, so I'm going to keep you out here. Like Adam, we will hide, we'll withdraw, we'll try to never show our emotions. Like, I got this, I'm in control. Dudes, men, we have strong emotions, okay? But man, many of us, like, we, we keep it in here because we're afraid to show our emotions. Fear will cause us to be isolated. And in doing so, we won't be transparent. We won't be honest with others. I had a conversation with a friend recently. 
And uh, it was actually revolving around the area that we live in. And this friend that I was talking with, we were uh, just having conversation about friendship. My friend was struggling with the reality that we live in a region or we live in an area that has high people turnover. What I mean by that, a lot of people move in, a lot of people move out. Move in, move out, move in, move out. It happens like a lot around here. This friend I was talking with said, I'm struggling because I feel like I get close to someone, I get connected, I start developing friendship, and they move away. And so my friend was struggling with fear. Like, why would I want to get close to anyone? Because it seems like every friend that I develop a close friendship with, they move away. They just go away. Courage, my friend, I said, well, what if you looked at it this way? Like, just because your friend moves away doesn't mean you can't be friends anymore. Now you just have cooler places to visit, you know? Now you can just go visit them, go see them. But I think that's a fear that sometimes can control us, especially in the area that we live in. Where we can build up walls, we can isolate ourselves because, oh man, I tried that before. I built a friendship with someone and they moved away or they passed away. Or, man, it just was too painful when that friendship didn't work out like I had hoped. We can isolate ourselves because of fear. So, so where do we get the courage to be transparent, to be honest, so that we will experience deeper friendship, deeper connection with other people. If fear is undermining your relationships, what is going to expel fear? What is going to keep fear at bay? And what's going to help your relationships strengthen? And and what's going to build up your relationships? The answer, you're like, man, I knew this was going to be the answer because I'm in church, but it's just travel with me, okay? Listen, it's true. The answer is love. It really is. You're like, I knew it, man. It's just always lovey-dovey stuff, man. I knew it. Now, travel with me. Listen to the words of John in 1 John 4.18. Love has no fear. Because perfect love expels or casts out all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. I'm going to read that one more time. Because some of you come from church backgrounds where you were trying to do the right thing because you were kind of like this. You were afraid that if you didn't, that God was going to strike you with a bolt of lightning. But let me read what the scripture really says. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. There's another scripture that says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved you. Even like the most vile, wretched, horrible, awful thing that you did in your sin, God loved you in that moment. He's not about punishing He's about redeeming people and rescuing people. If you're doing the right things out of fear of punishment, John says you haven't fully experienced God's perfect love because God is not out to get you. 
He's out to rescue you. So how does love expel or cast out fear? Love takes the spotlight off of you and it helps you to focus on the uniqueness of other people. Love will help you to focus on the other person. It will help you to put yourself in their shoes and that will drive fear out of your relationships. You know, the the reality is, is every single one of us have a story. Every single one of us are unique, created in God's image. And if we would just step back and take the time to actually listen to someone's story, to try to understand where they've been and what hurts they've gone through, I think it would make more sense to understand where they are. And the moment you begin to understand how much God loves you, you begin to realize that you don't have to prove yourself anymore. You don't have to spend your life trying to impress other people because you already know that God loves you. He's accepted you. He loved you in your worst moment. Your identity, your self-worth isn't caught up in what others think about you. It's not caught up on how many likes you have or how many hearts you have on social media. When you're secure in your relationship with Christ, you know, man, you're no longer pressured by other people's expectations. Because you know where your identity is. You know who you belong to. And God's love frees you to love others fearlessly. Really does. Now listen, man, coming out of a, a, a rough past, coming out of darkness, um, dealing with fear, it's not going to be all fixed like, like that. It's not going to be fixed in a moment. It's a journey. So what I'm going to encourage you to do, even this morning, is just to take a step. And then take another step. And then take another step. It starts with one step. And you just got to keep walking. And you got to keep trusting and you got to keep following. Take the step to be real with a trusted friend. Just take the step to be real with someone that you trust. Open up to that friend. Be authentic in that friendship. And John says it this way in 1 John 1, 7 and 8. And I'm just going to give the disclaimer that either this is the truth or it's not. But John says, but if we are living in the light... As God is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another. What does that light mean? I believe it means if we are real, we're authentic, we're not hiding anything in a friendship, in a relationship, we have fellowship with one another. We have deep connection. We have deep friendship. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim to have no sin... I might, I might say it this way, if we claim to have it all together, or if we claim to say, I'm good, but we're really not, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. So take a step, and then take another step, and walk out of the darkness and into the light. You see, the, the world thinks that intimacy happens in the dark or by hiding. It ha- it's happened throughout all of history. When we do something wrong, we hide. We try to make sure nobody knows. Adam did it from the very beginning. 
But God says to come out of the darkness and into the light. We use darkness to hide our hurts, to hide our faults and our failures and our flaws. But when we bring those things into the light, we're about to admit who we really are. And that's what God wants. He wants you to be who he has made you to be. He wants you to be authentic. Listen, the only way to grow spiritually, the only way to become healthy emotionally is this. James, the brother of Jesus, said this in James 5 and verse 16. Actually, I'm going to read it from the message translation. The message is a paraphrase. But gosh, this is just so good. James 5.16 says, make this your common practice. Like, do this regularly. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. What what if that was just the step that we took out of this whole friending series? What if this this is the one takeaway, that you walked away from this series and you said, you know what, I'm going to invite that friend to coffee, and I'm going to say, hey, can I, can I just share some, some things that I've been struggling with you? Can I confess some struggles? Can I confess some sin that I've been struggling with? And you just took the risk, and you trusted God's word, and man, you just opened up to your friend. I bet you a lot of your own money, okay, that your friend is going to pray for you. Your friend is going to encourage you. Your friend is, is going to say, you know what? Your friend might even say, man, I struggle with some of those same things. Would you pray for me? And that relationship will deepen. It sounds like a risk we're taking. I want you to listen to the words of Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear in, in being timid, but he has given us the spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Man, following Christ is anything but this like lovey-dovey stuff. Man, when you follow Christ and you experience the love that he's talking about, it's the spirit of power. It's a spirit of loving at all times, even when people are unlovely. And it is a spirit of self-discipline where you begin to walk in victory over the things that you've struggled with in the past. That is the love, that's the spirit that God wants us to have. Not the spirit of fear where I'm just going to do what my friends are doing because I'm so afraid I I don't want to say no. You know, I'm just going to be timid and I'm not going to stand up for what's right because I'm afraid, you know, we don't want, we don't want that. We want the spirit of power and love and self-discipline. I'm going to finish this morning with Jesus. And I believe Jesus walked in our shoes. He experienced what we experienced. And I believe Jesus looked fear right in the face and he experienced fear to the as deep as fear could go. And so I think Jesus is the example. He's the model to look to. The story is found in the Gospel of Luke. And I'm going to finish with this. Luke uh, was, a, was an eyewitness to Jesus and his ministry. But in Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 45, we actually uh, hear the story of Jesus. He had just met with his disciples in the upper room. He had just talked to them about the fact that he was going to die a brutal death on the cross. And 
let me just read it here. Luke 22, 39 through 45. Then accompanied by his disciples, or you could say by his close friends, Jesus left the upstairs room and he went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Verse 42 said, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At last he stood up again and returned to his disciples. If you continue reading the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Matthew, John, Mark, we know that the rest of the story, that Jesus ended up going to the cross and he died the most brutal death that you could ever experience. But his friends, if you, if you know the story, you remember his friends deserted him. And Jesus, being God in the flesh, he knew this was going to happen. So I believe that when Jesus was praying and like just sweating and says that he was praying so fervently and he was in agony of spirit, he knew what he was about to experience and he looked fear in the face. I I believe that he experienced the feelings of fear, like to the core of his being. He knows what it's like to have the butterflies, to have the fear, to have those feelings. I believe Jesus felt the feelings of fear knowing what he was about to face, but just because you feel fear doesn't mean you have to be controlled by fear. And Jesus felt the feelings of fear, but he didn't let those feelings control him. He still went to the cross knowing full well what it would involve, knowing that his friends would actually turn their backs on him, but he still did it. And Jesus went to the cross. And you might say, why would he do that? What the heck? Like, why would Jesus do that knowing that he was going to be just brutally put to death and his friends are going to desert him? You know why he did it? Because you're worth saving. He did it because you have incredible value. And he did it because life is worth living. Abundant life. He did it because he wanted to rescue you. He wanted to redeem you. He wanted to save you. He did it because he loves you. He went to the cross for you. When you place your faith in Jesus, he will never leave you. He will never disown you. He will never walk out on you. He will never quit on you. So I encourage you, as we finish this friending series, to give your life to the greatest friend that will never, ever forsake you. Give your life to Jesus Christ this morning.